1: I'm Coach Terry Wilson, and with each episode, I bring stories of athletes to you that share their experiences at races in order for you to learn how to have your perfect race. We'll hear stories from athletes of all ages, abilities, and races of all distances. So regardless of where you fit in, there's something in there for you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the pursuit begin. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pursuit of the Perfect Race. Today I'm talking with professional triathlete Brandi Swicegood about her recent race at Challenge Cancun that took place on April 28, 2019. This race was really hot. It was around 80 degrees and rose to about 95 with the heat index, and she had a time of five hours, four minutes, and four seconds. Welcome to the show, Brandy. I look forward to talking with you about your race and sharing your knowledge about this race.
2: Thanks so much for inviting me on.
1: Hey, you're welcome. So what made you want to do this race in the first place?
2: Well, first of all, I love the beach. Um, And second of all, and actually more importantly, um, I was looking for a race to qualify for my um, elite triathlon, elite triathlete license. Um, And this race was, um, it was the first year that this race would happen. Um, And so I knew that the field might be a little smaller. Um, And I, it was also an environment that I'm super familiar with. I've raced in Mexico a lot because I like it there and I like the beach. And um, those courses have been good for me and I tend to do well in the heat. My coach says I, I suffer well. So, um, so it was a good race for me. I actually didn't even, it wasn't on my radar at all. Um, my husband was just poking around looking at race sites and was like, hey, have you heard of Challenge Cancun? Um, just about less than a month before the race. And I was like, no. And so we talked about it and decided we should do it.
1: Wow. So you said qualify for your elite license.
2: Hmm. Yes.
1: So what? what's going on with that?
2: So, um, I quit my job about a year and a half ago, um, to back up a little bit. I was a, a journalist for about 20 years, um, I love my job, but I also had a real passion for triathlon. And I also had a pretty new little girl at the time. And I'd always wanted to see what I could do with triathlon. And so after some soul searching and discussions with my husband, we decided that um, I would devote myself full time to being a mom and seeing if I could become a professional triathlete. And so um, for the last year and a half, that's what I've been working my ass off to do and so what listeners may not know is what it requires to get your professional triathlete license Um, and there are a number of different uh, qualifications that USAT has outlined um, none of which are easy and most of which are super complicated but the the simplest way to do it is you um, can come in and the top three amateurs overall at a race where the prize purse is worth $20,000 or more and there is also a professional field and it has to be, of course, sanctioned by the National Triathlon Federation of the country where you're racing. So, fortunately, um, Challenge Cancun met all of those criteria, so it was a good place to race.
1: Wow. And this was a small field, too. This is uh, uh, what, like 200 athletes or so? Maybe less than 200?
2: I think it was just over 200.
1: Okay. Pretty close. It um, was pretty small. Yeah. So it's pretty obviously that <clears> – <throat> sorry. It's pretty obvious that – I mean I read some of your website today and some of your blog. You're over 40 years old. Why do you want to do this now?
3: <laughs>
2: um, that's a really good question. Uh, I am a little crazy but also – it's just a perfect time in my life for me. Um, It, it's, it allows me to spend more time with my little one, which is great. And to have a flexible schedule. Um, And to be honest, I've been doing triathlons for more than 10 years. I did my first one in 2007 and I loved it from the moment I hit that first finish line and i always had that little dream in the back of my head that maybe one day i could be good enough and and i knew some professional triathletes in the community and i always sort of looked up to them and just wondered if one day i could be that strong um and having uh having a child sort of put that all in perspective for me and i wanted to show her that it doesn't matter where you are in your life. If you work for something, if you want something, if if it's your passion, give it your all and see what you can do. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of a hard decision because, uh, you know, nobody's going to make any millions of dollars off of this. And it's really hard and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but it was a way for me to test myself and a way for me to set an example for my daughter of, you know, setting some goals, working really hard, and believing in yourself.
1: All right. So you're with Paul Matthews. That's your coach now. And was this a goal all along of getting your pro card this year?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely, 100%. That's what we've been working for. Um, and you know, one of the things that I, that I think is important to acknowledge because I, I certainly know where I stand. First of all, I know that being 40 is not, doesn't put me at the top of the field all the time, but I also don't think that it makes me at the back of the field. There are other professional triathletes like Dee Griesbauer and who, who are in their forties and doing amazing things. Um, and they may have a deeper athletic background than I do, but they're also sort of inspirational. And um, so, yeah, we, we set out knowing that it would be a challenge that would be really hard to get to this place. And I, I know where I am coming in at, at the times that I have been, that I have a lot of work to do. To be able to really be competitive at the professional level, but I'm also super stoked to do that work.
1: Wow! So, going into this race, this was your last, eight, last race as an age grouper. As you were leaving Cancun, did you know that you are going to take your pro card with this? What was this like? Because this was a, probably a little bit had to be a little bit of emotional to know yeah, you got it, but now you actually have to do the paperwork to actually get it. <laughs> but then it's like, do you really want to leave the age group and now really take that leap of faith? I mean, that what was this like for you?
2: Well, so um, I actually haven't taken my pro card yet, so
1: it's not official. Okay. And the, re-
2: the reason why is because I qualified for 70.3 World Championships as an amateur, and I really want to race that race. Um, and so – I can't take my pro card until after I've done that, if I want to compete in France. So I'm going to take my pro card after that race. And if all goes well, um, my hope, my hope is to make Ironman Louisville my first uh, race as a professional athlete. So fingers crossed. Okay. But yeah, between now and then, I have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, so you're
1: not professional <laughs> yet, but you're, you're pretty much, I mean, you, you, you've already checked all the boxes. You just haven't done the paperwork. Basically. Right. Okay. But
2: back to your original question of what that was like emotionally. I mean, I was tore up, but I came across the finish line thinking I was probably in third, but not really knowing for sure. Um, because, you know, I'd been working at this for so long and, and mostly racing Ironman races where their field is much bigger. So some you don't know if someone who started after you might have a faster finishing time. So there were times when I would finish, like when I came across the finish line, it said I was in 10th or something. And then a few other girls would finish and I'd be in 12th. So I was afraid that that might happen again. So my friend who was with me in Cancun kept telling me, Brandy, this is real you really did it. No, no, it's real. And I kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And so it took a while for it to really kind of sink in that, that it was real. But then when it did, it was just like, it was pretty overwhelming. There were um, more than a few tears.
1: That's pretty awesome. So uh, to talk a little bit more about this race and your training leading up to it, I know you did a 4k swim, a few times going into this race, you had a few four hour bike rides and you had some unique long runs going into this and you kept off your total hours of training at about 23 ish hours. I think maybe a little more than that. What was this like? And how are you weaving this into your day to day life?
2: Well, um, my, because my job i i consider my job to be training and taking care of my daughter we schedule our whole life during the week around those two things so she goes to school a couple of days a week which allows me to usually get my long workouts in on those mornings while she's in school um and then yeah so my my life is generally wake up train eat take care of her, go to the gym with her. They have daycare there. So, you know, she gets to play while I swim or run or whatever, strength train. Um, and there's just like never a dull moment because if, you know, while she's napping, I'm recovering or um, napping too to recover <laughs> from, from whatever I did in the morning. Sometimes, you know, if it's a long day, I'll have a workout. We have a setup in the garage So, you know, I'm on my kicker in the garage a lot of the time. Um, But, yeah, our our life right now is based around, you know, what what she needs as a toddler and making sure that, you know, we have play dates at the park and um, lots of coloring time and painting time and lots of time for bike rides and runs. And she spends her fair share of time in the stroller running and watching more movies than she probably
1: should, but, yeah. So tell me a little bit about this decision with your husband about whenever you said, you know, I want to quit my job and be an (laughs) athlete, and basically a very dedicated person to another sport on top of being a stay-at-home mom, because that's what, I mean, that's what you had to sell to him, right?
2: Yeah. To be honest, it was not a hard sell to him. Um, My husband spent most of his uh, 20s and early 30s as a competitive mountain biker. And he got really close to um, going pro, but just didn't ever, you know, career and everything starts to get in the way. And he's really good at what he does. And so he kind of let that you know, play its course. But he's always been super, super supportive of me as an athlete and as a, as a journalist as well. But when I said that this is what I wanted to do, there really wasn't a moment's hesitation from him. He said, well, what do we need to do to make that happen?
1: That's pretty um, awesome.
2: Yeah. He is really an incredibly supportive partner. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about it. And honestly, it was harder to convince me because I had worked really hard at my career as a journalist for a long time. And I had a great job. I loved my job. Um, And I worried about, you know, would my daughter think of me differently as an athlete than as a, you know, someone who's dressed in spandex and sweaty all the time, as opposed to someone who... You know, in my old job, I interviewed the governor and went to press conferences and, you know, flew on campaign planes. It was not, it was a kind of high profile job. So I had to really think about whether that was something I wanted to give up after having worked for it for a really long time. Um, But in the end, it was one of those things where it's like, I knew I would regret it if I didn't take the chance while
1: I had it. Wow. So, to transition a little bit and talk a little bit more about your training and life, are you doing a lot of meal prepping? Are you watching your nutrition from a very micromanagement type style? What is this like?
2: Um, I try not to be too micromanaging because I find for me that's just not sustainable. But I do a lot of meal prep because that makes my life a lot easier. So, um, I actually this year worked with um, a a nutritionist here in Austin named Meredith Terranova, and she really helped me to figure out kind of a realistic plan that works in my life every day. So, um, you know, one of the strategies I use is every week at the beginning of the week, I make a huge Bowl of salad because it's I don't know about you but I hate making a salad for one it just seems so wasteful and like it takes a lot of time to to prep a salad so I put all the dry ingredients in one big bowl and I have it for the whole week and I just add you know like tomatoes and goat cheese and nuts and a little bit of dressing and I have perfect salad and it's so simple and easy Um, and I. Like make a quiche at the beginning of the week to have for breakfast, what? a quiche. It's super easy. It's like you break a bunch of eggs, put some sausage and vegetables and spinach in there and bake it for 40 minutes and it's good to like super easy. And then um, you just
1: put it in the fridge then zap it whenever it's ready? Yeah. And you have that for how many days? Breakfast.
2: Uh, usually I, I the quiche I make makes six servings. So I have it all week pretty much.
1: Wow. So six days in a row you have the same thing. Yeah. Wow.
2: But I, I don't mind that. Some people don't like having the same thing every day, but I really don't mind. And then for meals, I like I like to make sheet pan dinners. So I'll buy a bunch of steak and vegetables and sweet potatoes and make a big sheet pan one night. Then the next night I'll make something else, and then I'll have leftovers. And my favorite thing is to take all those individual ingredients and then, like, make bowls. So I just always keep like a a container of rice in the refrigerator, and then I'll be like, "Oh, this I can put this steak with this rice. I can put these veggies with this, and make different bowls every day."
1: Wow, what kind of rice is it?
2: Um, always brown rice.
1: Brown rice, and you cook that at the start of every week as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you're not really worried about your weight too much. I mean, you're five four. A lot of people don't know that about you. So, I mean, <laughs> it, short girl syndrome, like I'm yes. sure you've, getting, you've gotten called short quite a bit. Um, but that brings on the whole, another dynamic of kits have to fit a certain way for you because kits aren't made for short people. Yeah. It, it's a little bit different. Have you struggled with finding a good kit?
2: Um, so... Uh, The Castelli makes our the Sunto kit, the Sunto multisport team kits, and they are perfect for me. I never have any problems. Um, So yeah, I haven't struggled too much, but but I've been lucky to have Castelli kits. We had we have them this year as um, on the Sunto team, and then last year when I was on the bicycle world Texas team, we had the same kit, and it's just.
1: Yeah, perfect. Nice. So, uh, let see. As far as training goes, did you want to make sure that you hit certain key workouts going into a 70.3 whenever you wanted to make sure it had this high precedence of it had the – basically, you were putting a lot of emphasis on this race to get your pro card. Did you want to make sure you hit certain workouts to go into this race to get that confidence level up even more?
2: Well, so because I – so I chose this race sort of last minute, right? But before this race, I had done Kempeche 70.3 in the middle of uh, March, March 17th.
1: In the middle of the day.
2: In the middle of the day, yeah. Started at 1, which was weird. Um, But it was also kind of neat running in the sunset in the evening. Um, So I had done that on March 17th. Then I did Galveston on April 7th. And then I ran Boston Marathon on April 15th. And then this race was on April 28th. So my the my training leading up to this race, like the key sessions that I had hit really came before Campeche.
1: And it was other races.
2: Yeah, and the other races, right. So um, we do a lot of for on our bike workouts, we do a lot of, um, the, my key workouts are generally a long ride with tempo sessions, race tempo session, um, segments built in. So a lot of times we'll do like a three hour ride with four by 20 minutes at race pace. Um, and so that helps me to really dial in, what that feeling is, as well as practice my nutrition and all of those things that go along with it.
1: Okay. With your nutrition, what are you using for nutrition during your workouts?
2: Um, I use uh, noon performance. Um, my favorite flavor is the strawberry lemonade with caffeine. Cause I like a little bit of caffeine. I actually only drink caffeine during workouts and races. Oh, mm-hmm. so no
1: coffee, no tea, nothing like that. You live in Austin and you don't <laughs> like sweet tea.
2: And uh, my husband drinks a lot of tea, not sweet tea, but tea. And but I, I quit drinking caffeine when I got pregnant, and and wow. I found when I, well, because it gave me heartburn. I had the worst heartburn when I was pregnant, and for some reason caffeine made it worse. So um, anyway, I stopped, and then when I, I tried to go back after I had the baby, because you know. Like, you're sleep deprived all the time when you have a newborn. And I just really desperately wanted caffeine. But then it kept me up so much that I couldn't sleep at all. So I was just like, screw this. And just never
0: went back. Wow. Um. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services.
1: So going into this race, um, you had all those races already under your belt, all that fun stuff. Um, where When did you start planning your travel? Being that you booked it just a month out, where did you want to stay at? Where did you want to fly into? What does the logistics of the travel look like for you? What does that look like? Um,
2: well, I had been to Cancun a few times before, so and getting from Texas to Cancun is not that hard. You can usually get a direct flight. But the cheapest for me was, um, a small layover in Houston. So the flight was pretty easy. And the, one of the most awesome things about this particular race was that the, um, the expo and packet pickup and all that was at the was at a resort. And it, so I just booked the room at a room at that resort because that made my life so much easier. Um, I didn't have to, you know, figure out how to get from wherever I was staying to the hotel and spend a bunch of money and time on cabs and stuff like that. It made it a lot easier. Also, the I think that they do this with every race, but the hotel was all-inclusive. So, we like, I didn't have to worry about food the whole time. It's just like, go down to the buffet. There's going to be something decent. It's easy. Like, I just want to stay at all-inclusives when I race all the time.
1: And I didn't it, have to cook. It, that would make life so much easier, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, come on.
1: Man. So um, as far as expensiveness, was this expensive to travel down there to Cancun from Austin? Was it about normal? What's that like? So
2: it actually, for me, it ended up being not that expensive. I had accumulated some miles from all the previous traveling I'd been doing, so... Um, I was able to fly completely on miles, and the hotel for all inclusive was like 240 like something a night, which was not bad.
1: So that's not bad at all.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I spent less than a thousand dollars on that trip.
1: And it's in another country. Yeah. Yep. I spent more than that on Chattanooga.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would have, because I had been actually planning before doing Cancun, I would plan to do. The Lubbock 70.3 They kind of want to go check out the new course I was like this I'll do this instead And it'll actually cost me less money
1: Yeah I mean Because you have to drive up there And there's There's nothing in Lubbock No Nope
2: There's nearly not much up there
1: Yeah So uh You get there What was your first impression of the heat?
2: Um I mean I guess it was what I expected It was hot <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and humid and, but because I had raced in Campeche I, I kind of knew what I was in for I had also raced in Co- Co- Cozumel in October of last year so and I live in Austin, Texas so those hot and humid conditions weren't that um, unexpected or a big deal it just kind of felt a little bit normal also before Campeche, I had spent a lot of time doing heat training. Spending time in the sauna doing workouts in my garage with the space heater on and a hoodie and all that kind that of stuff. Miserable. It was totally suck fest.
1: Wow. So um how was the uh, check in process and the village? Or did they have a village there or was it an expo? What's all this like? And 'Cause there's also two races apparently that I found out just by talking with you <laughs> earlier. There's a yeah. sprint and then there's also a
2: a half. Set, a half.
1: I didn't yeah. even know that and this is the third interview for that race, and I didn't even know that. <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Nobody else knows it.
2: Um, yeah. So I mean the I think so first of all the expos was the smallest I've ever seen at like um for a triathlon. Uh, there were maybe three or four uh, like places selling, um, triathlon gear, but that was also kind of nice. Cause you know, you didn't have to stand in line for your packet. It was super easy. The only kind of challenge was that there weren't very many people who speak English and I speak very little Spanish. So that was a bit of a challenge, but I could find, I found people who could help me and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, one of the interesting things was they had their race, you know, the race briefings, they only had them in Spanish. And so, but that's because like, there were only maybe a half dozen of us total between the half distance and the sprint who spoke English. <laughs> so what they did, which was really nice. Um, I went up to the race director who was giving the briefing and beforehand and asked him if it, you know if he could talk to me in english afterward because he clearly spoke english and he said yeah just come up to me afterward and we'll we'll talk and so me and the other five athletes who spoke english he like gave us a private briefing
1: oh that's pretty nice
2: a- afterward yeah so that was really nice
1: wow so uh, the days leading up to the race what did your taper consist of from a workout standpoint and how did you know that you were going into this race knowing that you were going to be able to crush it?
2: Well, uh, my biggest focus going into this, into the race was really just making sure that I was recovered from the Boston marathon. Um, cause I had, that was April 15th and the race was April 28th. So I had 13 days between those two. And one of those days was well, two of those days were travel days. So, um, I spent, I took it easy on the Boston Marathon because, for me, that was really just celebrating the fact that I got to rate, got to be there, and enjoy the experience. And then um, I spent the days after like doing a lot of swimming with, kicking, um, kind of trying to shake out all the fatigue in my legs, easy spinning. Um, the week like leading up to the race, before I left, we did. I did one longish ride. It was like two and a half hours with a couple, maybe five minute intervals at race pace, just to like remind my legs of what that feels like. Um, And then a couple of easy swims and a couple of easy runs and um, yeah, it was mostly about recovering for me and making sure that I felt my body felt Good
1: to go again. Okay. So it was more about not necessarily doing key sessions in between Boston and Cancun. It was more about all focus on recovery and very little intensity.
2: Yeah. Lots of Epsom salt baths, a couple of massages, couple some acupuncture. Mm-hmm.
1: That acupuncture doesn't sound like fun either. <laughs> I'll take the massage though. So, uh, The day before the race, what are you doing for nutrition as far as breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Are you wanting to hit certain meals? What's this like?
2: Um, I usually try the day before the race not to go too crazy, um, but instead kind of amp up my carb intake a little bit in the week leading up to it so that my levels are kind of topped off all the time rather than trying to, like, crush my gut with a bunch of – heavy carbs cause I have a kind of sensitive gut and doing that doesn't make my stomach happy. So, um, I'll do a little extra carb heavy breakfast the day before the race, right after my shakeout workout. Like what? Um, like pancakes and peanut butter. And when I'm in Mexico, I love cajeta.
1: What in um, the world is that?
2: It's, um, it's like caramel, but it's made, it's actually called, it's like burnt milk, but it's just, it tastes like caramel. It's so yummy, but you can't find it here a lot. So, um, I put some of that on pancakes and yeah, a little bit of eggs, but again, like I really try not to go too crazy with extra food, especially food that's not normal, like usual to me.
1: All right. So um, that's what you're doing for breakfast. What about lunch and dinner?
2: Um, just normal, uh, like things that I would normally eat. Nothing that's going that might upset my stomach. So I'll choose like grilled chicken or grilled fish. Um, in Mexico, cooked vegetables only. Nothing raw that has been washed with water. Um, so that way, cause... it's
1: you're not worried about the water yeah okay
2: um yeah that's basically and and you know i i I like to do easy carbs stuff that's going to be easy on my stomach like sweet potatoes or regular potatoes a little bit of bread
1: okay so uh the day before the race you have to check your bike in and this is a split transition race so uh, you can't really access one in the morning or it would be a little bit of a headache to do that. How did you prepare for this with how you laid out your bags and dropped your bike off and timing and all that?
2: That was a little bit of a, I mean, that's always a juggle. I think when there are two different transitions, figuring out how that's going to work. But um, so what we ended up doing is I, I went to this race with one of my really good friends who is also um, a runner. So, We decided that we would, there was a practice swim the morning before the race. And the, it was right across the street from, well, wait, there was a practice. So we went to the practice, we took a cab to the practice swim and kind of scoped out where the bike drop off and everything was. And then we, to get my shake, I got my swim in when the water was amazing. It's so pretty not as pretty as Cozumel, but beautiful salt water, did my practice swim. And then we ran back to the hotel.
1: Okay. So pretty easy there.
2: Yeah. It was, it was like three miles. So it was a perfect little shakeout run
1: with, I mean, this is a female friend of yours, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay. So from a safety standpoint, y'all must've felt pretty safe to do this.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. It was all along the um, hotel strip where the resorts and stuff are and grocery stores. And I mean, yeah, it was no worries about that. Okay. Um, and so then we came back and ate some breakfast after that, and then we, um, I rode my bike later on in the afternoon. I rode my bike to T1, got it set up, and she met me there in a cab. Because T two was kind of far away, so we, after I dropped off my bike, we took a cab to T two and left the bags there, and or left my bag there. The one of the th- lessons I learned from Campeche, uh, I because I, you know, the first race of the season, you're always like a little discombobulated, so I had forgotten at Campeche to put Red Bull in my bag that I wanted.
1: In T2, now you're using caffeine during the race.
2: Yes, (laughs) let's make it count. Um, So I wanted, I I had forgotten to do that, and then I also did something super dumb, which I left my sunglasses in this little soft, like soft case that I had. So it made them really hard to get out when I wanted to use them for the run, (laughs) and it was a waste of time. So anyway, I made sure all that stuff was taken care of in the way I wanted it. and um, also in my, I had also forgotten which I now I usually do. I open all my food containers before. So like if I'm going to use shot blocks or something like that, I like put a little tear in it so that I'm not having to like, you know, try to bite off the top when I'm running or figure out how to open it with slippery, sweaty hands. Um, and I'd forgotten to do that at Campeche, so I was messing around with things and getting irritated. So I also remembered to like just start opening all my food so that I wouldn't have to try to use brain cells for that during the race.
1: Wow! So uh, the day before the race, what time are y'all trying to get in bed?
2: Um, I was trying to get in bed by I was trying to get in bed by eight thirty.
1: Okay, and what time was wake up?
2: Wake up was four thirty. Okay. No, no, no. It was three thirty because it the start was real early. It was six thirty start.
1: Right. So you get up on race day. How did you sleep that night?
2: Oh, I always sleep like crap on race night. Yeah. Yeah. I just never. I'm always like afraid I'm going to miss the alarm. So I wake up a bunch of times and like in a cold sweat. Um. And I'm also, I also spend a lot of time like going over it in race day in my head. Um, so I, I got a few hours of sleep uh, normal for race night for me.
1: Okay. Now, did you and Paul talk about how to execute this race? Cause I mean, the website, even after the race doesn't really have much on it and there, it's the first time of the race. So you don't really know what to expect with anything. How did he, how did he prep you for this?
2: Um, well, um, Paul, he actually goes by Barney. That's apparently. Oh,
3: okay.
2: So uh, if you hear me call him Barney, that's his nickname. Um, so we had talked about the race quite a bit, but he, so he was a professional triathlete for, he's, he became a, he went pro when he was 15 and he ended his, stopped racing last year at age 35. So he was a pro for 20 years. And so he had raced in Cancun before on parts of this course for different races. So he was able to get a good idea of what to expect compared to some of the other races that I had done. So I knew that the swim would be fairly similar to Cozumel because it's on a reef, it's in salt water. Um, it's not going to be wetsuit legal. It was like 0.0% yeah. chance that was going to happen. So, um, my, my hope was to try to get on feet because I've been trying to do that for ever. And it has never, never really worked out for me in a race situation. Um, so we talked about, you know, strategies for doing that. And then for the, the bike was really just to keep my heart rate because we knew it was going to be flat and not very technical, just a few turns. My heart, it was really more about my heart rate and, um, keeping that at a reasonable point. So place so that I would have something left for the run, which we knew was going to be like stupidly hot and no shade.
1: Right. So you get up on race day. What is your race day morning ritual like before you head over to transition?
2: Um, I get up and I had my breakfast, which, um, this is kind of a silly story. So I usually have a smoothie on race morning and I, um, I have a travel blender that I bring with me so I can make my smoothie. So I get up race morning to put my smoothie together and I open up my blender package (laughs) and to realize that I had forgotten the, the blades the motor part of it. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was excellent. So I just How did the- you improvise? <laughs> so my smoothie, I usually have eBoost protein powder with um, almond milk, banana and peanut butter. Um, and so I had all those ingredients. So I just made um, a protein drink with the almond milk and the protein powder and ate some banana and peanut butter. So, I mean, it's really not, it same, wasn't that much calories, different. I mean, yeah, exactly. I got in what I needed, just in a different format.
1: It'll blend in um, your stomach, I guess.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the mouth is the blender. Yes. So, um, so I had my breakfast and um, got my, you know, got dress. Um, used the bathroom a bunch of times. That's always a key priority for me. Um, And then... Um, There was a shuttle from the race hotel to the, to T1, to the race start. So we went down to the lobby to catch the shuttle and it was a little intimidating because all the pros were also at the, at our hotel. And so go down to the lobby and there's Rennie and um, Cody Beals and Ellie
1: Salthouse and,
2: Basically, like, my Instagram feed coming to life
1: right there. And the Did you ask for lobby. a picture? Say, hey, can we get a selfie real quick?
2: I, I tried not to go all fangirl on recently. Oh, oh,
1: I would have. Like, <laughs> like, I want to get Rennie on here one day. I've already had Ellie. I've had Cody. I had Maddie on there. I've had Chris on there. Like, I know almost all the pros that were at this race. <laughs> it's so fun. That's awesome.
2: That's cool. Yeah, I I was too shy.
1: <laughs> man so you get over to transition how are you setting up transition
2: um so I got to transition and um started setting up my bike putting my food on I put my food in um little x-lab bags in the aero bars and you know put filled up my bottles um and then it was airing up my tires with um, a pump that I had borrowed, and realized that my front tire was completely flat. Wonderful. So that made me a little nervous, um, but I—I I mean, at that point, I mean, it's they're they're tubeless, so all I could really do at that point was, you know, air it up and spin it around and hope that the sealant would take care of whatever leak might have allowed the air to get loose. So I took care of that. I went and did a shakeout run, which is something I always do race morning. I put in my headphones, put the music really, really loud and go for a little run. And, um, came back to transition and checked my tire again, just to make sure it was okay and give myself some peace of mind before I started the swim. And it was fine when I, um, when I went to check it again. So I just tried to put it out of my head because there was really not anything I could do about it and went down to the swim start.
1: Wow. So you put 120 PSI on your wheels. Mm-hmm. You're using the MVs, pretty obvious there. Um, why so much?
2: Um, well, because I run the tubeless, they can handle a little bit more pressure.
1: Okay. But... You're 120 pounds. Do you need 120?
2: No, I don't know. I actually hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. But that's just what I'm used to.
1: I would say 120 is on the upper end of the spectrum from what I've actually interviewed. I mean, usually, I mean, I know my...
2: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere. Playing at slotscom Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: I rock 90. Um, I had a guy named Ben Miller on last year that did Gulf Coast. He's 6'4". More than 220. I'll be nice. And uh, I love Ben to death. He's a great guy. And he uses 85. Um, so, like, Hearing one twenty for someone as light as you are, it's it it makes me question that because it's like, is there like aerodynamics that you think of? Is it the condition of the road that you're thinking of? Like, is this just normal that you've always put in there?
2: Yeah, and I I guess I hadn't really thought about. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure why I would use less.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. There's one guy named Andrew Lewis that came on. He's all about that crap, to be honest, like he's <laughs> he has a two hundred and fifty dollar travel pump that is bluetooth compatible with his phone.
2: Wow, I was impressed with myself for just buying a sixty five dollar
1: one yeah, and he he says this is accurate within point one percent of a hundredth or whatever i'm like do do you really need that and he's like, well, knowing that all the other pump manufacturers, they come from two manufacturers, and they are plus or minus 10%. So if you think it's 100 PSI, it could be 90 or it could be 110. You don't know because those are like gauges are all made from one or two factories. And he, I mean, he just goes on this rambling spiel of why he is right buying this $250 pump versus buying what we buy at the local trathlon store or, in your case, <laughs> bicycle world. Like it's it's just craziness.
2: Whatever makes him happy, yeah. I feel faster.
1: Save the watts. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, um, you leave transition, you head over to the swim start. What's the atmosphere, and what's it like to be down here this swim start?
2: Um, it was pretty laid back compared to most races that I've done, mostly because. It was a fairly, um, as we talked about earlier, it's a pretty small field. It was a little confusing, actually, at the start because in the athlete guide, they had said that they were going to do a wave start with corrals, but there weren't any corrals when we got down there. Um, so I, I found a couple of people who to just chat with, and we chatted before the race started. and It was just pretty chill, okay. actually.
1: Now... Your mindset at this point, what was this like? Because are you're down there amongst all these other athletes. Was this like a nervous energy for you? Were you sick at your stomach? Like, how are you actually doing physically before the race?
2: Um, I wasn't super nervous. Uh, I was nervous initially, like, in the morning when I woke up. And, and I was pretty nervous until I got to until I did my shakeout run and that helped me really clear my head. Um, and once I got down to the water, um, I, well, one of the things I guess we haven't talked about is, so the day before the race, I had met another American athlete who was there racing and, um, I learned that she was also trying to get her pro card.
1: Oh, wonderful.
2: And she was a former pro.
1: Wonderful. Who was that?
2: Uh, Amy Van Tassel. Okay. And so she was on my mind a lot. Um, and I saw her race morning and we chatted. And so, you know, we kind of talked with each other and about what it was going to take. And she's like, girl, we got this. You and me. Today, we're getting our pro cards. Um, and I had, I, you know, obviously done a little bit of Google and Facebook stalking the night before the race just to figure out what competition I was up against. And so I, you know, I knew that she was probably going to eat my lunch on the run, but, um, yeah, it was, it was nice to chat with her. And like, I felt like we built a little bit of camaraderie. And so that kind of actually helps me to relax. She's so nice. Yeah.
1: And she's been on the show a lot. And I met her at Louisville last year. And she was Ultraman too. So mm-hmm, I know. Oh, oh you know,
3: huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> man. So you met VT. Like, did, was she able to calm you down, or was she in the back of your mind? Like, okay, well, I can't really have too many people ahead of me, aside from her. Or you can really only afford two more people, or one other person in front of you, and her to both get your card. That's the yeah. most, that's the most you can afford. Uh, yeah. So what was this like? Was this adding pressure to you?
2: Well, I had talked to the night before the race, I had talked to Barney about, you know, about the race, but I was also like, Hey, Amy Van Tassel's here and th- I'm worried. And he's like, don't think about, I don't want you to think about Amy. I don't want you to think about anybody else, but you and having your race. And he's like, he's like, you can do this. And he's like, don't waste energy thinking about anybody else's race, but your own. And so that's what I I really tried to do is like not really think about how anybody else was doing because I had no control over how they would do or what their day would look like. The only thing I have any control over is my day and my attitude about it. So. It was actually really nice to talk with Amy before the race. And like, I felt like, you know, she was super nice and supportive. And, you know, at at the end of the day, like, I knew it wasn't going to make or break my success as an athlete. What happened at this race? If it didn't happen at this one, I'd try it the next one. So I was just going to go have my best race, whatever that looked like.
1: All right. So, did you meet Chris as well? Was he down there? Her brother? Her
2: husband? Mm-hmm. Oh, her brother was there with her, okay. Eric. Yeah. But yeah, we met him.
1: Okay. So, um you get off on the swim after the pros go. How does the swim go for you?
2: Oh, the swim was really really good. Um I love swimming in salt water and the water there is not as pretty as at Cozumel not quite as clear, but you can still see the feet in front of you. And, um, the sighting is super easy. Um, the water was pretty flat. So, um, it was a great swim. One of the, so even though they had said that it was going to be a wave start with Crowns and everything. It ended up really just being a mass start. Everybody running into the water pretty much at the same time. Um, but that ended up being okay. I kind of just latched on to Amy because we were there at the start together and tried to keep up with her. And when she swam off, there was another pair of feet, and I really tried to stay with those feet and ended up catching a nice pair of feet for most of the swim. So I got out of the water feeling pretty good.
1: Wow! So, with the swim course, how is the swim course laid out? Like, if you did like a bird's eye view of the swim course, what does this look like? Is it point to point? Did you have some turns in there? What's this like?
2: It's a rectangle. Okay. So you you go out about a hundred meters, um, and then you take a right turn, and that's about another six or seven hundred meters. Then you take a left for about a hundred meters. Then take another left to come back. About and then take another left to swim another like two hundred meters in. So yeah, it's a rectangle.
3: Okay,
1: so you get there on the swim. Walk me through the three minutes and some change you spent in T one.
2: So the T one and this setup was kind of weird. So you exit the water and you run T t the actual transition area where the bikes were at was across a street in the middle of like an Island. So they built a bridge up over the street so that we wouldn't have to deal with traffic. But the bridge wasn't the most spectacular piece of architecture I've ever seen in my life. It was a little, Sketchy? A little rickety. Okay. So, and it was like this super steep ramp. It wasn't even stairs. So you're with wet feet trying to go up this super steep ramp that's also wet from all the people in front of you. So that was a little...
1: You mean the pros yeah. that are in front of you.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those people. <laughs> so, yeah, it was... That part was a little sketchy and treacherous. and But I got the i guess my bike and first thing i did was check that front tire to make sure it still had air in it and i and i did put on my um took off my skin suit put on my helmet grabbed my bike and put shoes and left yeah i almost ate it actually coming down so really? it was it was up a ramp and then across a bridge and then downstairs and it's they were all slippery and so on the stairs yeah, I almost ate it coming down those stairs.
1: Wow. So there's stairs in T1 that you need to be aware of, huh?
2: Yeah, and ran.
1: Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the setup of this race because it's a half and a sprint. Did the both start lines start at the same time? Is that how this worked? So
2: the sprint started like just maybe a couple of minutes after us so we were all on the same on the course at the same time so, so when we were exiting the swim we were exiting with people who were doing the sprint and getting on the bike at the same time as people who were doing the sprint but for them the bike course was only one loop and for us it was three um, so that first loop of the bike course was pretty crowded and it was hard to avoid packs of drafting men in particular. But after that, after that first lap, it kind of cleared out got a little better.
1: Okay. Now I know I read your race report and we can just go ahead and talk about the drafting on the bike here for a little bit. What was going on with the, all the drafting? Was there a lot of people that were in the sprint that was doing the drafting?
2: I think it was because it was so crowded. It was hard. And I mean, it's three loops, right? And a 56 miles. So it's a really compact course. So I think it was hard in that first loop, especially with so many people on the course, to get enough separation. But I've also found that sometimes in these races, um, particularly with aggressive male riders, it's sometimes they don't drop back enough. And um, so if you do drop back and they drop their pace and then you end up having to speed past them. So I felt like the first like loop and a half, two loops, it was this constant fight to stay out of the draft of these packs. And then I'd fall back and have to pass them again because they would slow down. And it was really, really annoying. Um, But then another uh, female writer who also happened to speak English came up uh, beside me and we kind of chatted a little bit and um, we dropped all those guys.
1: Okay. Um, so with the drafting that was going on, were there a lot of officials? Did you see a lot of officials?
2: There were s- some officials. I, I One thing I do know is that there was a pretty bad accident um, at one point on the bike course. And so I think there was a lot of attention as there should be on on that accident so i don't know if maybe that took away from monitoring the course but it did like the drafting did get better after the first after the sprint people got, okay. got off the course so
1: that makes sense now with the bike course itself it's three loops is there any type of rough pavement here is there any flats I know that this is a left-handed course and the A stations are on the left. But other mm-hmm. than that, what else is significant about this uh, bike course?
2: There were some rough spots. There were some speed bumps and um, a couple of areas where there were rough spots in the road. Um, but other than that, it was pretty straightforward. There was wind, as you would expect there to be um, at a um, seaside course. Um, and it, going between some of the buildings, um, there were some spots where the wind got pretty pretty strong and I could feel my back tire, um, you know, getting a little squirrely. But um, other than that, it was, you know, your typical straight, flat bike course, yeah. a few turns.
1: So... Why was your back tire getting squirrely? I know it's a little bit deeper. It's a 7.8, but it was a little windy, but it wasn't a disc.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I attribute it to the wind, but maybe it was something else. But that was...
1: Was the skewer tight enough?
2: As far as I know. Yeah. I had it I mean, checked.
1: That's the, that's the only thing I can think of.
2: I mean, it felt like I was a little bit sliding around, but it only lasted a little bit, and it was only like that one place. It felt like there was like a little wind tunnel there.
1: Okay. Um, So as far as your nutrition plan on the bike, I know you're using the Noon Performance, and you also have something else that you supplement this with to bump up the calories every 20 minutes. What's this like?
2: Um, So I use actually Swedish fish, and um, I cut up a little – I cut up a cliff bar. Into little pieces so that I can eat that. I don't, I try not to use gels so much because um, I try to avoid maltodextrin um, and because that inhibits the uptake of water and electrolytes. um, It makes it harder for your gut to actually use water and electrolytes. So I try to stick with food from and getting calories from food that is more normal to my everyday diet. Not that I eat Swedish Swedish fish and cliff bars all the time, but they're more like regular food than gels or some of the other things.
1: Okay. So with the avoiding maltodextrin, that takes a lot of the products that are on the market for triathletes or that are at least targeted towards triathletes off the table. Uh, have you been through these and have you experimented with all those it seems like?
2: Yeah, I was actually having a lot of um, gut troubles before. Um, well, between Campeche, Kempe- I had a lot of gut troubles, and then uh, leading up to Galveston. And I found changing that part of my nutrition really helped a lot.
1: All right. Um, so after the bike ride's over with, you're in T2 for just a little bit of time and then you're out on the run course how did the first few miles of the run go
2: um they're hot it was all hot <laughs> it was hot from beginning to st- finish um but the f- the actually the first little bit of the run coming out of transition was a little weird because um there had been three of us girls who were all like the the first three the fastest three girls me and uh, there was a girl named Julie in front of me and then me and then Amy Van Tassel. We were all just six bike lengths apart for the last loop and a half of the bike rep course. And we came off the bike and Julie, who was right in front of me, was like sitting down in transition. And I re- like ran past her going out of transition and she was just kind of chilling. and was like, hey, good job, girl. i like, super nice, which was great and awesome. But I was like, "What? Wh- what? what's happening right now? <laughs> and I... Um, but I just kept running and then Amy passed me maybe five, not even five minutes later. And I knew she would. Um, and and I was like, what happened to Julie? She's like, I don't know, but we got this girl. All we have to do right now is do this and we've got this. And i was like, okay. So I came around for the second loop and I saw Julie sitting on the pavement cheering other athletes on. I was like, girl, what happened to you? And she's like, I can't run. My foot's hurt. So she was just giving the bike all she got and killing the bike. And then that was her race for the day.
1: Wow. So how does the rest of the run go for you? The rest of the the run was
3: really about this heat management because it was so hot and there was pretty much no shade. There was a little section of the course on the far end near the turn where you're going uphill. And there's a little bit of shade there. Um, But that was pretty much it. So at every water station, I was shooting ice in my bra when I could, dumping water over my head, drinking as much water as I could without making my stomach flushed. So really not worry about blisters on your feet. I rarely have that problem. I, I mean, the only time I've ever had blisters is in a full settle marathon. not the i but not my jam. Um, yeah, I don't really, like, I've been, um, I ran an Olympic yesterday since plus toss and then my feet are fine. Oh. I think I just have, like, leather soles or something down there. <laughs> well, I'm flat I'll put the top touch all around, I think. Um, with all of it. Like, I it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this is a really hot day, you know, it, I'm sure that index was over 95. How are you managing this in between aid stations? Because it's, what, I'm not between aid, aid stations. Yeah, that was one of the probably the most challenging parts about the run is that the aid stations were really kind of far apart, especially for race to the So, what I did Um, was I would grab, I'd try to grab at least two, but three if I could, of the bags of water, because, you know, in Mexico, they give you bags. So I would tear off a corner of one, drink it, and pour the rest on myself. And then I carried one in my hand until I got got thirsty again. And it helped keep me cool, because I had the water in my hand. But also, I wanted something to drink again before we got to the next, station, so I would have it. I just carry it in my hands. I wish more more races would do the whole uh, bag of water. Yeah, it's kind of, it's pretty easy. It's, you just, and you don't, yeah, and you can't carry it cup with you. Yeah. Like, from, I could just kind of put three to four in my yeah, kit, and then we don't need to have so many aid stations
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No yeah. purchase necessary. BDW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you and Paul have that uh, or not Paul, or what
3: was your name for him? Oh, Barney. Barney. Uh, did you and Barney have a plan to execute the run? Uh, the uh, plan for the run was to slowly let my heart rate rise from where it had been on the bike, and then for the last five games they're so well. Okay. So, around all four or so, how are you feeling going with this? Yeah. I, I mean, I think in a race like that where it's so hot that's you can only really go by heart rate because if you pay too much attention to your pace, you're just going to be frustrated. Um, so, I was really just keeping track of the heart rate monitoring where it was telling myself that you know, there's still a lot of racing left to do and I needed to not blow up before I got to the finish. Um and I was keeping an eye of course on all the girls around me and and you know, trying to make sure that they weren't getting on me somewhere around the halfway mark I think. I when we came around the corner I noticed a little ways afterward that there was a girl who was coming up behind me, and she had a pretty good pace. Um, And so I started to get a little worried at that point. But then um, my friend who was with me, um, it was kind of funny actually, so the tracking system that was available online that you could use on your phone apparently wasn't super helpful. And my friend who was with me had never been to a triathlon before. And so she was texting with my husband, who was watching at home online, and he was telling her what to tell me <laughs> about, you know, where I was and where the other girls were finding and stuff. So and when I came around for the third loop, she told me that I was putting time into third. And, well, which is a good thing? Uh, no, it was a good thing, but okay. she said I was, I was gaining on third and just to keep my pace. She said, Travis said, you're gaining on third. Just keep doing what you're doing. So I was like, okay, that sounds great, but that's weird because I think third place looks pretty fast back there. So um, it, it kind of calmed me down a little bit, but I was so hard that in the back of my head that she was back there and it was kind of, kind of confused me. So I keep running keep my same pace, keep my heart rate where it's supposed to be, and then, just as we come around, that turn at the other end to come back, that girl who was going pretty fast asked me. And then I was right at the 5K mark, and so I was kind of trying, I was trying to decide, like, do I just blow it up now and, like, try to keep pace with her and see how long I can hang on, or do I... Keep doing my thing and hope that fourth place is pretty far back. So, how do you know what to do in this situation? Well, I mean, I just had to do what I could do mentally, right? So, I tried for a few hundred yards to keep up with her, and I looked at my heart rate on my watch, on my Synco, and it was skyrocketing already. So I was like, this is not sustainable. So I decided to back off but still try to push as hard as I could. So um, I let my heart rate get up to as high as I thought I could at that point. And then just hung on to it and then I would push a little bit harder and say, try to hang on to this. A little bit harder. Can I hang on to this? And I just kept thinking like, I don't know where fourth place is, but She's not going to catch me today. And so I I just really wanted to hang on to third. And I knew that, like, I I wanted to keep myself in a place where if fourth came up on on me, I could put on a little bit of a surge. So I kept trying to just push it every little bit as as I got closer to the finish and finished climbing that sort of last hill before the turnaround. And we had, like, maybe 2K left it at that point. I didn't see fourth place, but I wasn't gonna take any chances, so I just, like, put the pedal to the middle and hit it to the finish line. Wow. So, with this run course, what are some things that you would tell someone to be aware of that hasn't done this course before? Um, first say that there's no twin really, so make sure you wear hats and sunglasses um, and just be prepared to, to drench yourself with water and like heat management is the number one thing on this course that makes a difference between success and failure. So um, keep in mind that the stations are pretty far apart. Um, so stock up when you can and if you're I mean, if you're Uh, If you don't think um, a mile between is going to be sufficient for you, I I would even consider bringing like a a belt or something with extra hydration on it of your own because they are pretty far apart and it's hot out there. Right. So knowing that this is a really exposed course in general, how did you prevent getting sunburned? Um, I mean, I, I put on sunscreen at the beginning of the day, and I didn't do it, I didn't end up needing it, but I usually keep a little tiny bottle of spray sunscreen in my T2 bag for hot races. Um, so, but I, I, I think the hat helps, and I have also a sleep kit, so that helped. I had a little bit of sunburn on my legs, but, but nothing bad, yeah. So the last few hundred yards of the, th- uh, the can talk on this half. the last <laughs> few hundred yards of the race. how is this going to the finish line? Um, the the first one was a little unusual like I said this race. So you know, most of the race is on this main street. there's no more horses on this main street. and then it's to finish, you kind to take a, a right, and go down this small finish line too. So there's hardly any spectators back there because there just wasn't room for them. So, um, I mean, it's kind of loud, you know, like you would expect, but not as loud as most finish lines. And also, the pavement there was like this cross-hatched pavement with glass coming up in between the, like, diamonds of the crosshatch. And so it was super uneven. So like, I really put the hammer down to the finish line, and I wouldn't get every last second, but it was hard to get my footing And so, I felt like a baby girl trying to live one <laughs> to and <finish> to, <laughs> like, where are my feet gonna to touch the ground? So that was a little awkward, but I yeah, cross the finish line, and then Um, the medical volunteers were were there, and I started to sort of collapse on my feet a little bit, and one of the volunteers grabbed me, and he was like asking me all these questions, making sure that, uh, trying to make sure I was okay, and he was asking me to Spanish, and I don't really speak very much Spanish, (laughs) so I was trying to tell him that I was okay, but he didn't think I was okay, and then I, he took it on from around me, and I tried to walk, and I almost fell down, and so he didn't give me much choice, but to get in a wheelchair, and then pushed back to the medical. Um, you get not have Uh, they, they didn't give me an IV, but they, um, they, it was actually kind of awesome. They covered me in, like, iced-down towels, and made me lay down for, like, ten minutes and drink a whole thing of, um... A bottle of like souring before they let me go. Wow. That like yeah. I'm have an ice bath. yeah, it was actually really pleasant, and like they kept drenching me with ice water. And at that point, I was just like, "Oh my God, bless every one of you." <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as this course goes, you qualify for your pro card here. What well, was it like finishing knowing that you got that? Or, or you that you actually got that. <laughs> I guess it kind of took a while for it to sink in. Um, I, when I finally got out of the red tent, I ran up to my friend who was there and I was just sobbing. Like I, I kept asking her, is this real? Did this really happen? Are you sure? And she's like, yes, Brandy, I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> um, and you know, I called my husband and chatted with him and here is you know and so proud and happy and, and my colleague called Coach Barney and he told me to to go get my bike and start drinking tequila. <laughs> so yeah, um, it was weird though because it's really going to take a while for it to sink in because you know most Ironman races because the field is larger. And there's sometimes girls the who started behind you who can have a faster finish time, um, so you, you may finish for in a like you may finish an eighth, but when you come across the finish line, but then some girls come across later and you'll be down to tenth or something, and that had happened to me before. So I just kept like waiting for that kind of other shoe to drop. And um, so after the race, when Christine and I were walking, we walked up the street to try to find a cab to get back to the hotel. And there weren't any cabs, so we kind of, uh, <laughs> we fly down a truck, this pickup truck that I saw, that had, like, a, a wooden cage on the back of it, so that I knew my bike would fit. And the guy, like, I waited and the guy pulled over, and, um, and my friend was like, what are you doing? And I said, don't worry, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. So the guy got out of this pickup and came up to help us. And I get the bike and the truck and stuff, and I, he has a name tag on. And I looked at it, and it was the name of the hotel where we were staying. So he was on his way to work, and <sighs> stopped to pick us up. And so we got a ride in the pickup truck, and I took while we were there, while we were in the pickup truck, which was awesome because it was nice and breezy, and just the color felt good. And it was sort of when we were on that ride that it started to sink in, that like, holy cow, this this is, this is it finally is like, how we did it. Like, it's been one a year and a half and trying to do this and so many, like, hard races and close calls and so it was really awesome and then kind of a overwhelming. So that's the picture that we see on your Facebook of you in know, the back of a truck and that's how you get in the truck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what emotions are you feeling in like this truck on the way to the hotel? I mean, it's kind of a combination of all kinds of things. But mostly I was just feeling super grateful that I had this opportunity to live this life, you know. So, I mean, it's not just my own racing that got me to that point, but My husband and my daughter sacrifice a lot of their, you know, time and effort and energy and they're so supportive and, uh, you know, I have an incredible support system here. Teammates and friends who, you know, are every day helping me, pushing me, and an amazing coach who (laughs) doesn't give up on me even when I want to give up on myself. And, you know, my sponsors like Suunto and new and all these people who really make it possible for me to do this and so just thinking about all of that felt sort of overwhelming just like I, I couldn't do this by myself and I'm so so grateful that I have an incredible team of people around me who allow me to succeed Wow so what did you learn about yourself through this entire process? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess i learned that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I could ever be. I mean, when I started on this process a year and a half ago, I really thought it would take a lot longer. And I, I honestly didn't know whether I could do it. So you to do I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I knew it would be really, really hard thought it was possible, but at the edge of possibility, you know what I mean? So, the fact that it finally came together, Um, um, yeah, I I guess I learned that um, that I'm stronger than I thought I could be, um, that people in my life believe in me way more than I even believe in myself, and that that gives me a lot of um, confidence and strength to in turn believe in myself more. Wow. So, looking forward, um, what's next for you? A uh, whole shit ton of work. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, yeah, I was talking to my friend who was here in Cancun about, you know what it's going to be like to try and compete at the professional level, and she's like, so basically what you did is you just signed up for a whole lot more work. I was like, basically, yeah. And, and I know where I'm starting from. You know, I'm going to be at the back of the pack, and I'm going to have a lot to learn in these races, and I'm super stoked to be able to do it. Like, How often at like age 40 do you get the chance to kind of start a new career where you get to be constantly learning and improving yourself. Um, so I'm really excited about that opportunity and I love training so I'm excited to train even harder and see how much more I can push myself. Wow. And you know, we covered a bit about this race. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I mean just it's a good race if people get the opportunity to go down there. I would highly recommend it in this one. So as far as racing goes, what races are next for you? Um, I'm doing planning to do Boulder Peaks in July. Um it's the Olympic distance race there. Then the World Championship seventy point three in Nice in September. And then, if all goes well, there I am hoping to um, tug the line at Iron Man level, wow. um, which will be my first time for Iron Man since 2013. Well, I hope you have a better day there than it was last year. I hope so, too. Just did you go last year? Yeah. just, a yeah, okay. cool. couple of friends who did admit that last year. And, um, I should uh, hopefully, I'll finish out my season with Waco 70.3. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I'm not the smartest one around, but Waco is only, like, two weeks after Raleighville. That's correct. Like, why would like you do that to yourself? Like, why would you do that to Cozumel or something, like, and somebody eat their food or buffer room there to recover from an Iron Man. Yeah, well, I actually had thought about doing Cozumel, but one of my best friends is getting married in Puerto Rico that week. so. So just hop <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if only, if only money were limitless. Yeah. But, yeah. I think, I mean, I think it'll be fun, like, um, I'm hoping that Louisville is my first uh, professional race. Uh, so, I, I hope that I'll take my pro card after, um, after France. And then Louisville will be my first pro race. And then... Um, we'll see how that goes. But Lico is such a—it's so close to here, and it's put on by Bicycle World, which is like one of my best supporters, and i and they are an amazing shop and owned by uh, an amazing group of folks. So I'm just happy to go down there and support them in their race, and it's also like a really fun course. So we'll see here. Yeah, hopefully. I think they talked about they're going to turn it into a point-to-point disease to mm-hmm. where we'll a small current. So that should be great. That's the kind of swim I can get after. Yeah, i am take it. Exactly. I'll take it. I'll take it. 20 minutes of better this year. I'll take it. Play it. Yes, that's great. Um, so, Brandy, how can people follow you? Um, on Instagram at Brandy Good, and on Facebook at Brandy Good, and on Twitter at Brandy Awesome. Do your website do? I do. My website is brandysplicewood.com. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's simple. Yes. Um, So, honestly, there's only one more question left, and that's what's your definition of a perfect race? Mm, my definition of a perfect race... I think my definition of a perfect race is finishing knowing that I gave it absolutely every last bit that I had, um, and I left nothing out there on the course. How'd you know that? Um, I mean, you only know when you've finished, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I had I up last year, I came across the finish line, and I was moving my body as fast as it would possibly go, and then we did, like, the last. And it's kind of a terrifying way to finish, but it's also, like... Accelerating. Accelerating, and you have no regrets. Zero. Wow. Well, Frank, this has been really fun. I enjoyed this, and I'd love to have you back on after niece, and even Louisville. It'd be really fun to track you along the way this year. That'd be great. I'd love to. Oh, thank you so much for reaching out to me. It's still fun. You're welcome. You have a good day, okay. He's
1: good. He's good. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you were able to learn something from today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see pictures from this athlete's race, learn more about who I am, what I'm doing, or be on the show yourself to share your story, check out my website at CoachTerryWilson.com. Until next time, continue the pursuit.